Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. It is evening for me. Um, I don't know how many of you will be listening in the evening, or perhaps in the morning, or the afternoon, or the dead of night, uh, <clears throat> because most of the people who hear my show uh, are listening on some kind of device, um, handheld like a phone or a computer or a tablet. Um, this is Dr. Simon. And I have since 2007, wow, that's a long time already, been doing uh, intermittently uh, uh, shows uh, about people that I call the stories we live by, because I do believe we live by stories. And tonight I want to talk about marriage. I have talked about marriage in the past in different ways, but today I wanted to talk specifically about the politics of marriage and um, the um, psychotherapy uh, that people enter into when their marriages uh, are intolerable to one or both. So a couple of things that I have to talk about before I get to the direct issue of politics as my frame for understanding and helping other people understand the nature of their relationship. Um, the the word therapy that I, I use is always in quotes when I, it's written. Uh, so I call psychotherapy and the therapy is in quotes because I believe that what I do, and particularly if I sit down with a couple, a married couple, uh, um, or uh, a close relationship, people who are boyfriend and girlfriend, or uh, two uh, gay partners, uh, who have tied their lives together. Um, I don't think I've ever had friends who came for therapy. Uh, it's usually a person who is, is uh, a people who are tied economically, socially, uh, where commitments have been made, expectations have been uh, created, and now have somehow been disappointed. Um, but when, when uh, I use the word therapy, uh, I don't mean it in any medical sense. I don't believe that um, the entire list of uh, the DSM, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, uh, and I've said this so many times on so many shows, but I have to do it again here, uh, I, I don't believe that any of them, uh, of those terms, uh, have direct medical uh, connotation. Uh, there are no physical tests uh, that exist uh, that will allow us to predict the kind of patterns of behavior, thoughts, emotional responses, social interactions um, of the people who are now being called mentally ill or disordered um, uh, that will allow us to predict this. There is just none. Now, that doesn't mean I don't believe that the underlying uh, neurological differences between people uh, don't help define, in many big ways, uh, sensitivity uh, to stimulation, sensitivity to violence, sensitivity, or uh, the kind of defenses that people will use to protect themselves from emotional pain. I do believe that. But those individual differences are, at this point, quite unknown. And more importantly, they it, are defined by me as individual differences and not... 
uh, as in the same way as a neurological disorder such as epilepsy or a brain tumor uh, or some kind of metabolic uh, reaction to drugs, uh, low blood sugar, etc., etc. So what are these terms? They're value judgments. They're moral judgments. Uh, they are saying that the so-called behavior is a wrong behavior that somehow uh, contributes to the suffering of the individual or individuals with whom that person lives. <clears throat> there is always a social dimension to the uh, giving of a definition uh, of, of a mental disorder. In fact, it's now disorder, it's been for many years, rather than mental illness, uh, because uh, the psychiatry and the mental health uh, industry, uh, and it is an industry, we must be aware of that, uh, made up of very good people in many ca cases, but they're earning a living uh, in a hierarchy, uh, and it represents a kind of an industry. So, uh, when somebody comes in uh, and they're diagnosed, they're really being called a name based upon their behavior, their thoughts, patterns, uh, their beliefs, etc. Uh, therapy, to me, is a set of techniques that uh, are guided by value judgments. Uh, there is very little science, as far as I can ever understand, after my 50-some-odd years of, of being a member of the field and reading extensively and writing extensively. Yet, <clears throat> that is the way it's been pushed. That's the way the industry structures itself. This creates more difficulty when a couple come in, because the couple are now, in my view, the client. Uh, I am not dealing simply with two individuals, but two individuals who have made commitments, uh, and there is an I, or a me, there is a you, uh, and then there's an us. And the us, the, the collective of the two, the overlap where the I and the you give way to uh, the us is very much a part of who my client is. It is the us that I seek uh, to do something about, in part as it's defined by the individuals who come in, complaining in one way or another about that which is the us. Uh, Always, in, in, in people who come in for therapy, there's a complaint about the you, the other, but it's the us that they're suffering with. It's the relationship that is in trouble. It is the relationship that is disappointing. It is the relationship that's causing one or both pain. Now, in, in that context, what the heck do you diagnose? And because of insurance that someone's going to pay for this process, uh, someone's going to get diagnosed. And by the way, let me do a little aside on this. Anybody who is in therapy, and I, I'm a great advocate of psychotherapy in quotes, a process by which people can really learn to understand more about how they see the world, how they see the world, and how it was shaped so that they can make different choices on how to live, 
how they can change the story that they live by to one that lets them be more loving with people, more creative as an individual, and enter into relationships in which there is a better us, uh, as they define it, as they define it. So, the problem of diagnosis is always a problem, but it becomes even more uh, when it is involves a couple. Oh, I, I, had, I lost my train of thought. Let me come back to it. Uh, because therapists are making value judgments and making moral judgments, it is important to me, uh, and I became aware of this, that whatever a therapist writes about their patient, if you are a patient, I, take, I would have you take this seriously, ask them to see their notes. Ask them to see what they've diagnosed you and what they're writing in their notes. This is critical. When you go to a medical doctor and he does a report, he gives it to you. He comes up with the diagnosis. He tells you what it is. He tells you what the treatment, in his opinion, should be, according to the facts and the science as he understands it. And he gives you a sheet uh, for many years now, when I go to my particular doctor, he says, do you want a printout of the sheet um, with his diagnosis and with all of my blood work uh, and, and whatever else that is in, relevant to me as his patient? And I, in that situation, allow myself clearly to be defined as a patient because he is involved with me as a person, but his specific intent is to understand me physiologically, how the physiology affects my behavior, how my behavior affects my physiology, but he is dealing with medical, true medical issues. Um, if you ask most therapists to see what they've written, they will want to know why you want to see it, they will uh, make it a difficult thing to do in many cases. Why? Because the only thing they can really write are a series of moral judgments. And especially when there's a couple, those moral judgments may very well involve who they think is right, who they think is wrong, who is the more pathological of the two partners. And this is very critical for people to know. And very critical that if they're in a relationship with a therapist or a doctor, for me, it must be a democratic process where there's respect, where patient and therapist are, or client and therapist, I'll use the word patient because that's what I got used to, uh, patient in quotes, um, they have to be equals as human beings. Now, it's clear that unless the therapist knows something about technique and knows something about the conflicts and the things that are disturbing the individual, there's no reason to pay that individual. There's no reason to go to them. But as human beings, you are equal. And when somebody writes something about someone else and implies or says, it's a secret, you can't see what I've written, I think it's critical to know what they have written. Because to the degree that you cannot know what that they are saying, 
about you as individual or as a couple means that there is an upper hand going on. It is not a respectful, democratic interaction. You are not being held as responsible to know what they think the problem is. And the problem is different in medicine when somebody says, um, there's something wrong with your liver, then there is something wrong with you as a human being. There's something wrong with you as a person. And that kind of judgment creates a hierarchy, a moral hierarchy, in which one is in superior and one is inferior. Um, I never wrote anything after I became, by the way, till I understood what those notes were really about, that I would not immediately show to the client if they asked, and sometimes showed it to them when they didn't ask because they were suspicious of what I might be thinking about them that was negative. So, one more final thing, and I can talk then about more about how I assay or interpret the political process between people uh, who are married. When I saw married patients, they represent only a very, very small subset of all married people. I have seen in my lifetime relationships that I considered between married people that are horrendous, horrible. To live the way they are living, to me, is to enter at least into the fourth ring of hell. There is so much humiliation, there is so much power being abused, there is so much authoritarianism, there is so much negation, there is so much pain, so much denial. But they didn't come and ask to change anything. They did not come to change anything. Therefore, it works for them. It doesn't work for me because in my values, I couldn't live the way they are living. So when people do come to a therapist's office, singly, about a marriage, or as a couple, it's often the last resort. Um, I had for many years a practice uh, in which there was an attorney who sent me clients. He would see something in them, and I'll talk a little bit tonight about attorneys and what happens the moment a married couple introduces anybody into their marriage, uh, opens up the secrets of that marriage, trusts an individual outside of the relationship of that marriage, particularly attorneys and psychotherapists and anybody else, um, uh, mothers-in-law, I'll talk a little bit about that, but the moment um, the, the, uh, the, the, the lawyer gets his hands on a contentious issue, uh, that marriage is in trouble. And this particular attorney, and I'm sure there are many attorneys like this, saw something in their relationship that he felt they should deal with and confront before he creates uh, and some kind of adversarial process that will affect them uh, politically in their lives, certainly economically. And again, I don't know if I'll finish tonight this entire topic. Uh, if there are children, 
uh, the children are going to be incredibly affected by this change created by a third party coming into the relationship in which there will now be an I, a you, the professional, and us, a threesome or a twosome, which excludes one of the partners in the marital us, the marital we. By the way, if anybody wants to call in, the guest number is 646-716-7756. Anyway, so I see a small subset When people sit down with me, uh, because I am not a medical practitioner, we do discuss the issue of insurance. I do discuss with them uh, that I have to write something about one of them because a couple cannot be a patient in this medically defined arena. And we come to an agreement about fees, and I ask them what their goals are, and I begin to look at the social interaction between them. Because I have a value about what kind of a relationship I call good. There is no scientific way to define a good relationship. Just as there's no scientific way to define a a person who does good or does bad. So... The good for me is a relationship that is essentially democratic. What's interesting in individual therapy, uh, according to the way I think is right, it is essentially democratic. Uh, Both individuals have their say. The uh, psychotherapist uh, asks questions. And very often, for the first time in a person's life, They are asked serious questions by someone who really seriously listens, who hears them as a person. For the first time in their life, they may not be told what to say. They may not be told what to do. And it is interesting and off-putting. I talked about education recently, in which uh, I would try to get students' opinions about their own work, something that's almost unheard of critique their own work, uh, uh, which is unheard of, uh, almost unheard of in education. If people are to become and live in what I believe is the best way to live, a democratic process in which there is an I, able to define and seek those goals that make them happy and, and find life worth living, a you who is able to do exactly the same, and then an us that can find ways of living together, to me that is the best kind of way to live. But that's my value. I'm sure that Mr. Putin, I'm sure that uh, the people uh, who are uh, seeking some of the presidential nominations would totally disagree with me. They know best. They define what's best. They define themselves as best. They have voice. In any dictatorship or those who would seek to be dictators, they are your majesty. You listen, you bow, you scrape. This is the antithesis of what I see as democratic life, in which there is an 
a viable you, a viable I, and a viable us. Now, what's interesting about human beings is that they are individuals. And therefore, when individuals get together, when they decide to become a society or a family, when they decide to become a group, a social group, there's going to be conflict. Politics is the means by which we solve conflict so that we can all decide what it is we want and get our way so that we can develop and, and be an I that is not violated in any essential way and yet we are willing to give up for the good of us, all of us, or the two of us, right? either as a nation or as a family, as a, as a social organization, uh, all of us giving up some of what we want as our way. In a marriage, to me, in my value system, that is essential. That is absolutely essential. Um, I had a couple in which the wife had done her due diligence and raised the children and now wanted to go back to school. And the husband looked at her and said to her, who would take you? You don't know anything. You're just a dumb housewife. That nearly ended the marriage. That is not a respectful, that is not a humanistic, that is not a way for someone who claims to love another, as this individual did, to speak because it is the squashing of the you. It is the attempt, as in all authoritarian uh, conflict resolution, there will be a me and there will be very little you. In a democratic process, particularly where there's genuine love, and let me talk again a little bit about what I consider genuine love. One of the elements of genuine love is that your needs, your life, is as important or maybe even more important than my own. Certainly, with most parents I know, their children's lives, which very often are involve the most intense forms of love, uh, I would rather die than see something happen to my child. And the death of a child often involves the death of a marriage, involves the death psychologically, physically, in terms of the health of people, uh, uh, the parents, and the difficulty and profound difficulties within the family. Although that is another topic, perhaps for another time. The three forms of conflict resolution that one can read about in political science are democracy, finding that delicate balance between the needs of individuals and the needs of the group so that the group can continue to serve the needs of individuals, that the individuals can take responsibility to serve themselves and the needs of the group, and that conflict can be resolved. The inevitable conflict that has to exist between 
individually different human beings. That conflict must be resolved democratically if there's to be a good us. Again, that's my value. The second are authoritarian and totalitarian means of, of, of conflict resolution. You'll shut your face or I'll shut it for you. You piece of shit. You shut up. You're nothing. You're nobody. You'll listen to me. Many people who have come out of authoritarian families enter into marriages that are authoritarian from the beginning. And unless one of the individuals becomes unhappy with it, it can be a relationship that continues for the rest of both of their lives. Um, um, and, and this authoritarianism, which, I, as I've said in my recent, all of my recent shows and many of my earlier ones, uh, is easily understood in terms of human evolution. If one of us is going to eat, I'm going to do the eating. You're going to be the eaten. The, the third is anarchy. Now, real anarchy, as I, I understood it, is really not the breakup of the group. Uh, it is small groups that decide to solve things without electing a leader or allowing anybody to become a dominant force. Uh, I find that idea interesting and exciting as an extreme form of democracy, but where children are concerned, where large groups are involved, uh, there really is no way I can see that anarchy can work. Often what anarchy ends up as, we all do our own thing, and there is no us. So in authoritarianism, and I forgot to talk about totalitarianism, I'll do that in a second. In, in uh, authoritarianism, there will be a me and there will be very little of you. Right? The us will be dominated by me. It'll be what we want to eat. You'll go to bed when I want to go to bed. You'll watch the television I want to watch. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the mechanisms that, that can uh, uh, evolve this, uh, how to get this involved. But it's not often, it doesn't have to be necessarily violence. Um, I want to talk a little bit, if I can remember to do this, about blackmail. The words, if you love me, you would. In any event, um, anarchy is that the us disappears, that uh, people go their own way and they end of the relationship, or they work out a relationship that is anarchistic. They see other people, they date other people, uh, and if it works for both of them, I've never had a problem accepting it. I did have a colleague I worked with for many years who had an openly honest relationship with his wife that was an open one. They both had affairs. They both came back to each other. They both supported each other emotionally, financially. They both raised their children uh, in what seemed to me a very credible way. Uh, but both felt that having one sexual partner in their life was not uh, adequate, that they wanted other people to, do, uh, to sleep with, to have sex with, uh, to fuck because uh, there's making love and there's fucking, although I've always thought 
that in a good uh, ongoing relationship between two people, uh, making love and fucking can exist simultaneously, uh, where the animal and the tender exist and and uh, produce the greatest, as I understand it, uh, satisfaction between people. Ah, oh. uh, such re- open relationships I find rare. Uh, for most people, a, a commitment is a commitment, and the uh, going outside the relationship is almost universally called cheating, uh, and almost universally seen as a betrayal of one partner by the other, particularly because it's not in secret and goes outside the relationship. Most of the people I have so-called treated have been in uh, authoritarian and totalitarian relationships. Difference between authoritarian and totalitarian, many years ago, I think it was under Ronald Reagan, there was a woman named Jean Kirkpatrick who was, I think, the I'm sure, the ambassador to the United Nations, who had been a professor at one of the major universities, a highly intelligent woman, who said authoritarianism is that you become obedient to what you're told to do. And totalitarianism is that you're supposed to be obedient to what you believe and feel and think as well. Probably the best description of true totalitarianism was George Orwell's book, 1984, where as O'Brien is torturing Winston Smith, he says that this is not over until we tell you that two and two is five and you believe it. You don't believe your own eyes. You believe what we, Big Brother, tell you. And I've seen relationships like that, and I've seen children come out of relationships like that. Um, And they are usually the ones with the worst and severest so-called diagnoses uh, because they can't even allow themselves to think in secret in opposition to the authority uh, that they're working with, living with. So... What do you do? What do I do? Uh, As in any therapy, we go through the initial contract. What is it that they want? And I watch to see how their conflicts work. What has been going on that causes them enough misery to open up the secrets of their life to a stranger? Recognizing that when they do this, I am now privy to becoming part of them and their relationship, and that is an awesome responsibility that has to be clearly defined by me and so that I know what my values are, which might be separate from theirs. What do I mean? I tend, when people come people came to me, because I'm not really doing much of this anymore, when they came to me, particularly when there was children, to see if I couldn't help them find some of the love, some of the affection, some of the joy, some of the satisfaction, sexual and otherwise, that existed before they began to move on one another, before the kind of of, uh, unspoken, unconscious needs 
work their way, unconscious expectations from the baggage they carried with them into their relationship. Before that, turned the relationship sour and made it miserable for one or both of them. And usually, if it's one, it's both. So my value is not to superimpose this uh, on individuals, but my best goal is to see whether or not that relationship can be turned around into a more democratic, more productive, more loving, more satisfying relationship, where especially then their work and their raising their own children can produce those kinds of people who as citizens uh, uh, will live the best life within a democracy that they can have and the democracy as a whole, both the family, both the groups that they belong to, both uh, uh, society, both the dialogue that goes on in their own head uh, can be the kind of democracy that in my value system is the best way for people to live and resolve conflict. Um, I had a colleague once who had thrice divorced and she had a wonderful track record when people came in of her clients getting divorced. And she would say things like, marriage is not a normal way for people to live. Why should people have to put up with all the shit of a marriage? And I agree, there's shit in every relationship to the degree that you have to compromise, that you have to put up with idiosyncrasies, things that were beloved and things that were cute in a long-term relationship may not be beloved and not be cute. But here the goal is, how do we resolve the conflict between behavior that one person doesn't like and another person likes? What is the natural expression for one person that irritates another? How does that get resolved? That, to me, is a political issue. It's a conflict. And therefore, the conflict that is healed, and, and, and I use the word healed, slap my face. Um, there's no healing here. Resolved is a better word. Uh, the way in which this is resolved uh, uh, defines what will happen in that relationship going forward. Uh, I had a client come to me once, a couple, in which he would sit there very quietly and list all of the things wrong with his wife. And the list went on and on and on. And when it was over, there was nothing left of her that could be seen as admirable, worthy, uh, worthy of respect, worthy of love. And one night as he was going through the litany in his quiet, destructive way, she literally fell off her chair, held her head, and let out a wail of pain that went right through my heart. And when I saw him smile, he looked at her and smile, I knew I could no longer work with these people. That I wasn't going to be able to touch this that my feelings towards him were now so negative, and I said to them, 
Uh, I am watching something here that is so painful and so destructive, I can't be a party to it. And if this can't change very quickly, uh, I will ask both of you, uh, what can I do to help you individually? Can I uh, refer you to an attorney? Would each of you like to see someone uh, privately? I could see one of you and refer the other. We could work that out. I never saw him again. She did come back at first secretly because she was so afraid. I worked with her for several months, referred her after a while uh, to a colleague, a woman that I thought uh, she needed as a role model as well as an analyst and somebody to help her understand, somebody who could be sympathetic without pity, uh, because many of the people who come to therapy and many of the people uh, who come in with these painful relationships are loaded with self-pity. doesn't work. Uh, it becomes a controlling mechanism. It becomes a way of trying to instill in the other guilt and control through guilt. All of these become kind of complicated uh, uh, mechanisms, but you have to be aware of them and, and make them clear to the individuals that this is what you're perceiving. In many of the cases I've worked with, each comes in unaware that what they're looking for is a way of improving their relationship. They want a judge to decide which of them is right, which of them is the more moral individual, which of them is the greater victim of the other. Very, very common. There will be a litany of complaints of one about the other. Sometimes, if they've been married a long time, I've seen people who are married for 30 years, and she or he or both can list every insult Every slap in the face, most of the time figurative ones, not real. Every uh, uh, failure to be the good spouse. Every uh, hurtful thing ever said uh, since they were married. The list goes on and on and on. And initially, I allow this to take place. Tell me what you feel you're aggrieved in your spouse. And they will go on and on and on. They will then deny uh, that, they have, that they did this. They will uh, eventually uh, uh, come to a point where you can see the standoff in the relationship, that there is nothing but incrimination. There is nothing but guilt provocation. Uh, uh, whatever was loving Whatever was mutual, that us is now a struggle for moral supremacy over the other. It will be my moral view over your moral view. I am the better person, and I am the victim. I am the one to be pitied. I am the one who is hurt. Eventually, I then ask the critical question, do you feel either of you in any way responsible for some of the emotional pain and the sorrow of your spouse? 
and I hold my breath. Or I did hold my breath. Since I'm not doing this anymore, I have to hold my breath about other things. And I wait. And one or both may very well pick an incident and say, yes, I was giving him or her back what I felt that she or he was giving me. And at that moment, there is an opening. An opening to move away from recrimination, from pity and self-pity, from demonization, you're a bitch, you're a cunt, you're an animal, you're a bastard, you're no good, you're no good, you're less good. There is now a movement away and an opening for self-responsibility in the relationship. And this becomes the basis of moving towards a more open, democratic kind of a dialogue. One that is free from the inevitable blackmails, uh, from the insults, from the emotional torture of endlessly trying to get the upper hand uh, as the victim and uh, as, as the moral superior of the other. Uh, this can be extremely successful once that pattern is established. Once some humor can be introduced into the relationship, as very often there once was, when they can get into bed and get undressed and have a good uh, sexual experience in which the satisfaction of the other uh, is, is important rather than a kind of a mutual masturbation that so many sexual relationships become in which let's get this over with. I have a need. I have an itch. It needs to be scratched. Uh, I think I've gone on long enough. There is so much more that I could add to this topic. Um, I think that when I want to teach people, I ask them, you're in a relationship. Do you think this is a, an authoritarian? Do you think it's democratic as we've defined it? Is it an anarchy? Do you both go your own way? Do you stay together for economic purposes and only economic purposes? And since you're here, there is not enough satisfaction in staying together for financial reasons. There's not enough satisfaction for staying together for sexual reasons. In fact, I had a number of people I've worked with over the years who said that the sex with their partner was the best that they could possibly have, better than with anybody else, and they lived apart. And to the degree that that worked for them, I would never have seen them. Again, the only reason I or any therapist sees them is that this is not enough, that they are, are resentful of the sex going on with other people, that they're lonely because there is no us, that there's no one to eat dinner with, go to a movie with, uh, share uh, responsibilities with, share joys with. One final thing I should uh, add here, uh, and that is children. That really requires its own show, but a couple of thoughts. Children inevitably become part of the us. 
And one of the things that uh, I've learned in my years of working with couples is that if they're going to decide to split, don't make a war that involves the children. To ask children to decide who is the more loving, who's the more moral, who's the better parent, and who's the bastard, is to create a conflict for children that for a child, most children, is irresolvable. Uh, Once the attorneys very often get into this, and there is now a frantic food fight for who gets what in the relationship, and if the children are involved in this, uh, then, then it becomes a very hurtful kind of a disruption of us because children are part of the marriage. They are not the mother's responsibility or the father's responsibility. It is theirs collectively. Uh, a family is a very big us. So that the idea that the children get dragged into this kind of a fight in which other people like attorneys and therapists are involved can become incredibly painful and destructive to children, leaving them confused and angry and bitter uh, and becoming a heavy amount of baggage to carry into their own social and sexual relationships. One final note about children. They know what's going on. It is in a child's interest about continuing to live that they have some idea of what's going on. And while they know what's going on, because they are children and egocentric, they often can feel responsible for uh, the parents' suffering and parents' pain. Uh, When I've had parents, I had a parent bring me a child who had the uh, mental disorder of trichotillomania. She pulled out her eyelashes. Disturbing, very disturbing to both parents. And I sat with the child, and I asked her about it, and I said, tell me, what do mommy and daddy do together? Because I've never seen a child, this is my experience, whose behavior that disturbs the parent in some way or another doesn't come out of something going on between those people. And she said, my mommy and daddy are very unhappy. My mommy sits in her room at night and reads magazines and cries. And daddy is most often not home. So I sat down with the parents and I said, I won't see your child any longer. I want to see you. Because if you are not the therapist, notice I did not say you are to blame for her problem. I often have said to people, it's very hard to raise a child. You think they don't know what's going on, but they do know what's going on, and they know what's going on and really can't interpret it correctly unless they're told what's going on. And the parents agreed to talk to me, and I saw them for about a year and a half until they divorced, both much happier outside that relationship than in it. The behavior of the child almost immediately changed because there was no longer any purpose for her to make herself the center of attention to try to stop what she felt was and knew was so destructive going on between her parents. He had affairs going on. 
he had a relationship with his father that was something uh, that I hadn't really heard of before. I won't go into it. But so much got resolved when I saw them together. I saw them at times individually, very careful not to take sides, very careful not to make one the heavy or one the victim. Very difficult to do. But when you know where your own position is in the relationship, what you're willing to do and what not uh, uh, to do, it becomes much easier. But then you have to know as a person in any relationship what your values are. This is even true if a friend comes to you to complain about their marriage. Uh, 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 what are you going to say that will put you in the us? You see, because once you're in the us, you've created a dynamic that if not uh, handled correctly, if there's no awareness of what is actually going on, uh, can become destructive to all the parties concerned. Well, this is coming up on 50 minutes. I don't know if anybody's there. Uh, I always hope that there's somebody there. Almost always there's somebody who comes later. But then they can't call me at 646-716-7756 and open up a discussion with me. So I'm going to sit a few minutes. Uh, I bought a really delicious chocolate cigar, a pastry from a place down here in Florida that makes incredibly fattening, delicious, succulent pastries and other desserts. Uh, I shouldn't eat this pastry. I'll share it with my wife when she comes home. I will cut it in half. I will smack my lips. I'm starting to uh, salivate when I just think of it. But because I'm trying to control my weight, I shouldn't eat it. But I'm going to anyway because it gives me such pleasure. So, I will hold on here and see if somebody wants to call in, somebody wants to talk with me. I'm available. Okay. I guess no one's there. They're doing other things. I think then I will hang up and go have half a chocolate cigar I'll feel guilty afterwards, but what the hell? Anybody? 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 Hi, this is Dr. Simon wishing you happy relationships. Take care. Good night. Goodbye.